0: A couple of people took to the streets of New York City with a microphone and a camera and a question. That question, pretty simple. Who is Jesus? And they stopped people along the way and placed the microphone in front of them and the camera behind the microphone, and they asked away, and they captured it. A myriad of responses. Some are somewhat surprising. Others, not at all. This doesn't take very long. Watch this clip. Historical figure? I don't know. I think he was just a person. I don't know. Just a normal person like us. He was a selfless person. I have no clue. He was a man. I think he was marketing genius because he got people to believe him. I don't I don't think he's the son of God. I don't believe that at all. If David Copperfield was in the day of Jesus. He would be Jesus. I'm pretty sure he existed. Like, I'm not going to say that he didn't exist. He was God's son, but so was Gandhi, and so was Muhammad, and so was, you know, we're all God's children. Jesus is someone I pray to. Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, um, and is the like symbol of just ultimate forgiveness and ultimate love. He's sort of that like constant figure in my life. Jesus is also Isa in Arabic and he was a messenger as well. He was just extremely enlightened like religiously and morally. Was somebody that um, just tried to um, impart wisdom on others and um, make the world a better place. I think he saw something that a lot of people didn't see and still don't see in others and I I think that's just a lot of Love and, and hope. Jesus sort of seemed like an ominous uh, figure. You know, he just, he, he was God, and it was hard to relate to him. But I think as I've grown in my faith a lot, I've really started to see Jesus as my closest friend. Wow. Interesting variety of answers from I have absolutely no idea to he's my best friend. In the middle of it, I don't believe anything at all. To the person that would say he's my lord and savior i loved the response of the guy with the pigeon on his head when he said if david copperfield were alive during those days david copperfield would be jesus okay kind of an interesting response but then there were others that would match that i kind of wish the interviewers had been able to put a microphone in front of the face of whoever this author is i don't know who wrote this but this is good stuff. If you brought an amen with you this morning, you might want to get it ready because at the end of this, it's, it's warranted. If you're in the parking lot, let your horns be an amen. Listen to this. He was a working man, a ragged carpenter with neither a roof above his head nor a pillow beneath it, sleeping under the stars or in borrowed beds, his robe a blanket, his night like the moon. For 36 months, he drifted about doing good and telling stories. He never hurt a soul. He healed the sick, taught the masses, fed the hungry, walked across the seas, and preached the good news. Wherever he went, the miraculous broke out, at weddings, at funerals, on the land and on the lake, on the mountainside and in the city streets. He became the help of the helpless and the hope of the hopeless. He turned water into wine, and with bread and fish he fed a multitude. Yet he himself was sometimes hungry, and in his death he cried out in thirst. He was buried in a donated mausoleum, yet his tomb, guarded by the Roman soldiers, was opened by heavenly agents and found empty. And for 2,000 years, we can say that all the angels of heaven, all the demons of hell, all the stars in the sky, and all the men of the earth have never understood the influence of this gentle child in swaddling clothes who was laid in a manger with no crib for a bed. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? amen in the parking lot as well amen is right that's who jesus is and maybe it was with that type of a description in mind that the apostle paul would write these words in philippians chapter two if you have a bible with you open to this powerful powerful chapter with me it has been preached and taught more times than most scholars could track and for good reason the apostle paul writes these words starting in verse one of chapter two philippians 2 and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Boy, that is good teaching. It really is. And that's a wonderful way of answering the question, who is Jesus? Especially the last part of that passage answers it so beautifully and powerfully that it leaves no question in anyone's mind. That's who Jesus Christ is. Now, part of what makes that passage so impressive is where Paul was at when he wrote it. You might remember from a couple weeks ago, we said that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. These special people in his life and in his heart needed some encouragement, and so he wrote to them. He wanted them to know what a joy they were to him. This letter is different, but still he is locked up in prison. There are people that are preaching using his name and the message that he would preach for their own selfish ambition. And in the process, they're doing him great harm. They are hurting the message of his life. They are hurting the message of the gospel. But Paul says to the people that he's writing to, it's all right, it is all right. The gospel still being preached, even though they are doing this in such a way that is a, it is an insult to my life's work and to the message that has risen out of everything that I have experienced with Jesus. It is all right. He's telling them that as his perspective has changed about these other folks, and he's doing it in such a way as to change theirs, the church in Philippi. Helping them understand and helping us understand that because of Jesus, we can see difficult situations and circumstances in a different light. We can look at them in a different way if we will simply allow our perspective to be changed. Part of what helps Paul write this to the church in Philippi are the words that he wrote right at the end of chapter 1. Maybe you remember them from last week. If not, let's just jump back into them real quick. But also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. One of the things that Paul is teaching in chapter one, as well as chapter two, is so that when we enter a relationship with Jesus Christ, something happens. We not only receive salvation, but we enter into a partnership. A partnership. Because of Jesus and because of the way that he lived, the things that he taught and the way that he transforms our life, he invites us in to a partnership, a means of becoming the hands and the feet of the gospel itself. He invites us to become the tools that he would use. He invites us to become his voice at different times. God invites us into a partnership. Now, that is easy for us to wrap our minds around. It really is. Partnership makes sense to us in the world that we live in. But the Bible would use a different term for that partnership, a spiritual term, one that is somewhat heady. Doctrinally and theologically, just to wrap our mind around this term is pretty difficult. But what God really invites us into is a priesthood. It's called the priesthood of all believers. That's God's invitation. Now you might say, hold it preacher, that doesn't make any sense to me. Priesthood of all believers, God invites us into that. That's an Old Testament thing. And I thought this was a New Testament preaching church. And we are a New Testament preaching church without any doubt. We preach the grace of Jesus Christ and the mercy that the Lord has poured out on us through his son. But the priesthood of all believers is a New Testament term. Now it has some Old Testament teaching that's attached to it. But it's a New Testament term. Let me show it to you this morning. Join me in the book of 1 Peter. Peter's first letter. Now if you're having trouble finding 1 Peter, it's, well, right before 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 1. Listen to what he writes. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Isn't that a great invitation into this chapter? It really is. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, oh, here we go. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Are you ready for this? To be a holy priesthood, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. There it is again. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, Peter was writing to a Jewish audience, but they were more than Jews. They were Jewish Christians. Because they had become believers in Jesus Christ, they were different than the Old Testament Jews that we would be familiar with. So when he writes about them becoming a royal priesthood, God calling them into this new position, he is actually talking to the church as a whole. Everyone that would call themselves Christian, they carry that same title, that same honor. We are being built into a royal priesthood. That includes you. In order to understand that, though, we do have to go back to the Old Testament teachings or it won't really make a lot of sense to us. You see, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the priest had very special responsibilities. They would be called into the tabernacle or the temple to take care of a number of different things, to take care of the sacrifices before they would be offered. They were called in to take care of the table of showbread and the altar of incense. They were taking care of everything that would happen inside the temple courts and in many situations like if they were taking care of the sacrifices outside of the temple courts and then there was a high priest that had a singular job the high priest would go into the holy of holies the most holy place once a year on the day of atonement to offer sacrifices he was the only one that was allowed in that place He was the only one that could go behind the curtain, if you will. All of the other priests, they had to remain out front. But the high priest, one day a year, for a single purpose, on the Day of Atonement, would go in and shed the blood of the sacrifices behind the veil. Now that is the priesthood as we know it from the Old Testament. Jesus was the last high priest. The priesthood dissolved after that. Jesus was the last one to go behind the curtain, to go behind the temple. He was the last one to shed blood, and it was his. And when he did that, something remarkable happened. Truly remarkable. Now let me take you to the book of Hebrews so that you can see this for yourself. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Man, this is exciting stuff. Hebrews 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year now the writer of hebrews is talking about the old covenant the old pattern of sacrifices and he says they were just a shadow just a shadow and then jesus came and the shadow cleared up and we were able to see very clearly a relationship with god but in order to do that something had to happen verse four for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to you to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Something powerful had to happen. Verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declared the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Because of Jesus, something powerful happened. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, there it is, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, oh, it's becoming clear, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? And has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And all of that because of what Jesus did. And it is so powerful. Did you catch it? Here it is again, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great priest over the house of god let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water he opened a way through the curtain for us are you catching that Remember, the high priest could only go behind the curtain once a year on the Day of Atonement. But now the writer of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus opened a way through that curtain into the holy place, the most holy place, into the presence of God. Jesus opened the curtain. Jesus didn't just open the curtain. Jesus tore it in two so that it could never close again. And now through his death, burial, and resurrection, it is possible for us to come into the presence of the Lord. And that's why we are a royal priesthood. We can stand in the most holy place in the presence of God because of Jesus. You want to know when it happened? We can show you. History records it. The Bible records it. This is the exact moment that that took place. Matthew chapter 27, Verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. At the moment Jesus died, everything changed. And we could enter the presence of the Lord, the most holy place, as priests. As priests. Now here's the thing about that. For all of the priesthood in the Old Testament, there were two things that they got to experience that no one else did. The first was the privilege of the priesthood. And it is a privilege. So they received that, that they could come in and they could serve within the the temple and the tabernacle. They could be a part of that. They had the privilege of being known as a priest. But with that, they also had a calling unto a purpose. They had a calling unto a purpose. And that purpose was to present the things of the Lord. It was to take care of the things of God. That was the purpose of the priesthood. So they had a privilege to be called priest and they had a purpose because they were priests and because we are known as priests, the priesthood of all believers, doctrinally and theologically, the same is true for us. You have the privilege of being called a priest, but more than that, a child of God, a redeemed child of God, and you have a purpose to handle the things of the Lord, the sacrifices Now you might say, hold it now again, preacher, because we were talking about the Old Testament priesthood, and now we're talking about the New Testament priesthood, and the writer of Hebrews just said that we no longer have the blood of bulls and goats that we bring before God, so what sacrifices are you talking about? I'm so glad you asked. Because the Bible tells us that it isn't the blood of bulls and goats today, it was the blood of Jesus that has sanctified our lives, that has allowed us to come before the Lord, but the sacrifices we offer today, according to Peter according to Paul, and according to the writer of Hebrews, come from our life and our words. They come from our life and our words. Paul would actually say in Romans chapter 12 that the sacrifices we offer today are living sacrifices. Listen to this, Romans chapter 12, just two verses. Verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Living sacrifices, your life and your words, living sacrifices. When those are offered to the Lord, God does something miraculous with them. The same way he did miraculous things with the Old Testament sacrifices, he does miraculous things today with the sacrifices that come as a result of the priesthood of all believers. The things that we bring before God. And from time to time, the Apostle Paul would teach the church in Philippi. That means we have to change our perspective. We have to see things differently in order to carry out the privilege and the calling of the priesthood we have to do things differently not always easy to do one of the things that has to change for us is the way that we consider other people the way that we look at other people remember we were saying as we got started that Paul was in prison and people were persecuting him and they were distorting the message of his life and the message of the gospel and Paul was telling the church in Philippi it's it's all right it's okay as much as I don't like it, it's, it's okay. Some people are preaching Christ out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Last week we looked at the fact that it hurt his flesh enough that Paul would say, I desire to depart and be with Christ. But I can't. The Lord has not deemed that time yet. So I have to stay here. And I still have a job to do. And if I'm going to do that job in a way that will glorify God, I'm going to have to change my perspective. I'm going to have to do things differently. I'm going to have to see people differently. Boy, that's a tough order for most of us to grab hold of. We don't like to see people differently. We like to see them the way we want to see them. Sometimes we even like the frustration that comes with it. Here, I, I, here's just an example for you. Tina and I were coming back from Kalispell on Friday evening. We'd had to go over there in the afternoon, making our way home in the the evening, and it had gotten dark, and there were a lot of people on the road, a lot of people on the road. And just after we got past Kyla, where, you know, most of the traffic bleeds off, and now you can kind of settle into it, there were two cars in front of us. The lead car was going 45 miles an hour. 45 miles an hour. As we were driving along, I... I uh, fired off the same lecture I always fire off. And and my wife, who is so gracious to listen to it like it's the first time she's ever heard it, just was shaking her head yes. This is the way my lecture goes. I do not hold accountable the lead car. There is a reason that they are driving 45 miles an hour, but what in the name of all that is good and holy causes that person in the second car to drive that slow and prevent us from being able to pass? What? No! No! Now, I need you to be transparent with me for just a minute because it'll help my blood pressure. Has anyone else ever been frustrated for this exact scenario? Go ahead. Oh, you're yeah. with me. You're with me. And- and ladies, how many of you would have the same type of lecture to share with other people that you've heard from your husband? So Okay, thank you for your transparency. And so I'm just laying all of this out, and my wife's just shaking her head, oh yeah, oh yeah. Earlier in first service when I told this story, she was shaking her head with her eyes almost rolling back in her head, <laughs> thus losing some of the graciousness that she has always demonstrated. <laughs> we get frustrated with other people for even silly reasons, because they cause us, our own frustrations without any consideration for them. And that's part of the power of Philippians chapter 2 because Paul teaches us how to change that. Let me show you. If you have your Bibles with you, I know we've gone through a lot of scripture, go back to Philippians chapter 2 and set up camp there. I want to show you just a few words. We've already dealt with one of them, the word partnership. And what that looks like is it moves from just practical partnership into spiritual priesthood. So I want us to spend the rest of our time on two other words, and it won't take as long. The first one is found in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Two different times the same word is used in that one verse, the word interest. Here it is up on the screen. Interests. Now, this word is crazy intriguing because it does not exist in the original language. The word interest is not there. You might notice in your footnotes that there's nothing that calls it out. And there shouldn't be because even though it doesn't exist, by implication, it does. This word is known as a filler. Now, if you're a highlighter, an underliner, note taker, you may want to underline or highlight that verse and in the margin of your Bible, write the word filler. I have told you before and just a few weeks ago, I reiterated this. I am not an expert in the original languages, not even a student of them. My mind doesn't work that way. So I have to rely on those that are to help me with things like this. And that's exactly what happened with this word. I got intrigued by it and then started chasing all kinds of different rabbits. So that I was looking at resources online and then talking to people that I know that are experts in this realm and found out that all of them back one another up. This word is a filler, it does not actually exist. Yet, by implication, it belongs. So this is not a time that interpreters did something with the Word of God that they should not have done. They did exactly what they should have. When you are translating, there are certain words in Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic that translate into other languages, like in our case, into English. There are other words that do not translate easily, so they have to do a thing called transliteration, which means they're using an English word to capture that idea. And then every great once in a while, and it does not happen often, there is a situation like this where the idea that is written in Greek cannot be captured through translation or transliteration, and it requires a filler because it is an encompassing word of multiple ideas. Shake your head yes if that makes sense to you. All right. So it is an encompassing word that captures multiple ideas. If you were actually reading this in the original language, verse 4 could read like this. Let each of you look not only to his own, but also to others. It could read just like that, without any problem. But by putting the word "interests" in there as a filler, it gives you all kinds of different options and applications, like this. Take a look. Let each of you look not only to your own financial affairs, or your own property, or your own family, or your own health, or your own reputation, or your own education, or your own success, or your own happiness, but look to the financial affairs and property and family and health and reputation and education and success and happiness of others." See how the filler works? You could take each one of those and plug it in and explore that solely on its own. By using a filler in this situation, you open up an avenue to explore all of these different things. And at the end of it, what you really have is the author saying, you need to think about what's going on in the other person's life. So let's go back into my illustration. Maybe I needed to be thinking... They could be scared. That's why they're driving so slow. Maybe they don't like to pass. Maybe they're not feeling very good. Maybe they don't see so good at night anymore. So it's easier to stay behind the lead car as close as they are. Maybe there's a reason that this is happening. Rather than me just getting frustrated and thinking, hmm, if I get right on their tail and turn my brights on, they'll get out of the way. Or maybe if I surge up there and then come back here, maybe they'll know to pull over. Maybe if I honk, they'll get out of the way. Rather than doing that, there's an opportunity to say, I need to think about what's happening in their life. I need to pay attention to them. Rather than just thinking that this frustrates me because my plan was to get home faster, I need to think about what's happening in their world. We have to look at their interest. What's happening there? the priesthood, the priesthood of all believers teaches that. I've got to look at other people. I've got to look at other people. And there's ways to do that as well that help us pull this off. When we start looking at the interest side of it, what we're really doing is paying attention to ourselves. What's happening in my life that's causing this type of frustration and what do I need to do to change it? But if we really want to get into what Paul's teaching, let's pay attention to the other folks. Listen to this in verse 3. We're going to back up just one. One verse. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now we're really looking at other people. I want to share that with you from the New International Version. I memorized this passage long, long time ago from the NIV, and it still resonates within me. Chapter 2, verse 3 from the NIV. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. That word consider is a perspective changer. That simple little word to consider others better than myself causes me to see them in a different light, causes me to see everyone in a different light, as well it should. The whole meaning behind this one verse in Philippians chapter 2 is, is that we have to recognize that the needs in other people's lives trump our desires. Now let me illustrate that for you. I want you to imagine that you have a a trip planned next Saturday to go hunting with one of your favorite hunting buddies. You're going to go to your favorite spot. It's been productive for the two of you many times in the past. It's really the only day that you're going to get to hunt through this entire season. You have responsibilities at work that have come to bear, and, and they're going to keep you out of the field. Sunday, you want to be in church, and Sunday afternoon, you have family obligations, and so Saturday, next Saturday is the only day that you have to go, and you spend all week long looking forward to it. I mean, looking forward to it. So you guys get up early, and, and you pick up your hunting partner, and your pick up, and you head out of town, and, and get to where you have to leave the pavement, and it's already snowing, and you are headed off, knowing that it's going to be a great day six miles off pavement, you come across another pickup. This one is broken down on the side of the road, and they have their hood up. They're standing outside looking at the the engine, and you could tell just as you approach them in the headlights that they are in a bad way. So as you roll up there, you put your window down, and you ask them what's going on, and they tell you that they broke down several hours ago. There's no hope of getting this thing started. They don't know what they're going to do. And of course, we're six miles from pavement and a long ways from town. Don't know if we're going to see anybody else. You have an uh, opportunity right in this moment to make a decision. You can tell them something along these lines because, boy, you've been looking forward to going hunting. Well, we're going to head on up the road and we're going to go hunting. And if you're still here, when we come back this evening, we'll pick you up. That's option number one. Option number two, you could say, boy, that's too bad. I'll bet you guys were planning a great day. (laughs) Feel bad for you. We'll pray for you. And off you go. Seems rather spiritual. Or you can consider them better than yourself and allow their needs to trump your desires. And you can say to them, hop in. We'll flip you around and get you back into town. Or you can put a strap on the front of the pickup and you can pull them back into town. You can get them back to help, knowing that that was your one opportunity to hunt this year. And it's gone. That's all right. Because of the priesthood of all believers, you get to demonstrate something to them that maybe they would never see any other time in their life. What a moment. Priesthood of all believers says, what a moment. I get to be Jesus right here, right now. What a moment. That's what Paul was teaching. It's okay. It's okay. Because of what Jesus has done for me, it's okay. And sometimes that's exactly what we have to do. When we take a look at ourselves and we know that that's not what comes natural to us and we take a look at other people and we think to ourselves, I I love them, but I really right now don't like them very much and so I don't want to have to upend my plans and help them. If that isn't enough for us, then maybe what we have to do is consider Jesus. You considered yourself. You considered others. Now, consider Jesus. And Paul helps us do that. Philippians 2. Let me share it with you again. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at what Jesus did. He considered us enough that he gave up heaven, came to the earth and died for our sins. So sometimes we need the mind of Christ. And you might say, there's my loophole. You don't even want to say, there's my loophole preacher, because you would be terrified that I would say, maybe it's not. So you would say, there's my loophole, because I can't have the mind of Christ. Paul just said, we need to have the mind of Christ. Well, that's Jesus' mind. I can't have the mind of Christ. And you might be justified in your belief if you hadn't read the Bible. But if you have, particularly the book of 1 Corinthians, you know that you're wrong. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Boy, if the Bible stopped right there, we would be in the, the clear. If Scripture did not go on, we would be free to say, whew, I don't have to consider Jesus. I don't have to look at things through the mind of Christ because that's God's and God's alone. Do you remember that partnership, though, that leads to the priesthood of all believers? Well, listen to this. But we have the mind of Christ, Paul says to the church in Corinth. You can have the mind of Christ because you do have the mind of Christ because it is part of the relationship that we have with God through Jesus. You have the mind of Christ to spiritually discern what's going on in other people's lives. And to be there as a priest, to help them, to handle the things of the Lord, to deal with the sacrifices, the living ones, often come from your life and your words. So we consider others. We have to. Time Magazine ran an article a few years ago. They started out with a Chinese proverb. It's a pretty good one. Take a look. If you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. It's a Chinese proverb. Sounds like it comes right out of scripture. It's a pretty good one. Paul might even give his amen to that because he would say this, and maybe you caught it as we got into Philippians chapter 2. When you allow your perspective to be changed, taken off of yourself and placed on other people, it unleashes joy. Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. Because of Jesus, make my joy complete, teaching us that there is joy in sacrificing ourselves for the sake of others, And that's the kind of joy you don't find anywhere else. That's what the Chinese proverb was teaching. That same article in Time Magazine goes on to say this. For centuries, the greatest thinkers have suggested the same thing. Happiness is found in helping others, for it is in giving that we receive. Written by St. Francis of Assisi, no question about it, believer in Jesus Christ. The sole meaning of life is to serve humanity. Tolstoy. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Winston Churchill. Making money is a happiness. Making other people happy is a super happiness. Muhammad Yunus. Giving back is as good for you as it is for those you are helping because giving gives you purpose. When you have a purpose-driven life, you're a happier person. Goldie Hawn. Do you remember? Do you remember that part of the priesthood was the privilege and the purpose? The purpose unlocks joy. It unlocks joy. In the midst of even difficult situations, living out the priesthood brings joy back. Even when we deal with situations that steal our joy, dealing with the living sacrifices as a royal priesthood brings joy back. Hold on to that in difficult situations. Live that in difficult situations. Consider yourself, consider others, and consider Jesus. Why don't you stand and we'll pray together as the worship team comes. So there's something powerful about praying with other people. Father in heaven, as we think through the royal priesthood, it's intimidating. But at the same time, it's crazy intriguing that you would look on us And count us worthy of that privilege. Count us worthy of that calling. And through the priesthood, you would help us find our purpose. The living sacrifices. As they are poured out on others. Father, help us live up to that. Pray for those that have not experienced the initial relationship with you that sanctifies and transforms and changes everything about us i pray they will today pray for those that are carrying deep needs with them i pray they find freedom today and i pray lord that we all get to continually experience the transformation of sanctification asking that in jesus name amen